You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We are in our Fully Alive theme for this year, and we know we are fully alive when we have vital signs. There have to be some readings that indicate to us that we're alive. So physically, most of us know what those vital signs are, heart rate, respiratory rate, blood pressure, temperature, that sort of thing. That's how we know we're alive. And if we're checking someone else, we know that someone else is doing okay or maybe not doing okay if they're missing or lacking one of those vital signs. 1 John 4, 9 says that God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. That's why Jesus came. He came not only to check our vital signs, but to make sure that we had the ability to be fully alive as human beings. And so we are going to kind of be jumping into this idea of vital signs and looking at some different spiritual vital signs over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. And the image that I Got, kind of got stuck in my mind as I was thinking about this morning, the text and what we're talking about this morning, was this image of a combat medic. The image of a combat medic that runs around on a battlefield, checking wounded or even people that look like they're okay uh, to make sure that their vital signs are okay. And, and maybe you kind of have this image that you could conjure up in your mind from watching a movie or TV, or maybe you've served on an actual battlefield and seen something like this. Um, but that's the image that I get in my mind when I think about our text this morning, is this idea of a combat medic. How do we know we're alive on the battlefield of life. How do we know that we are fully alive on the battlefield of life? One important vital sign spiritually on the spiritual battlefield of life, one important vital sign is hope. Do we have hope? And if we do have hope, what's the reading? What's the hope reading? Do we have it? If we have it, where is our hope? We all have hope readings. What is our hope reading? What are your hope readings as you sit here this morning? Do you have hope? And where is that hope? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I simply pray this morning that you would help us to see what you want us to see this morning and help us to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're gonna look at the first promise. The first promise, the first inkling of Christmas found way, way, way back in the very beginning of the scriptures, and it's found in in Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. So before we talk about hope, I I want us to kind of go into the pit for a little bit here. I, I want us to kind of descend into a very dark pit with no light so that we can get an idea of what this scripture is actually talking about. Genesis 3, 14 and 15, part of the story of the fall of people and sin. And there's a forecast in here as well. There's reality and there's a forecast. It says here, God is speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to the devil, Satan. And he says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, war, 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I will put war between your offspring and hers. This is very kind of mysterious literary language here, but this point is clear. There will be war. Paul says it very well in Romans chapter seven, verses 14 through 24. He says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There is war. Every single person, believer or not, every human being alive is locked in an age-old, brutal, ongoing, wide-ranging life and death spiritual conflict. And this war is against sin. This war is against death. It's a war that rages inside of us, but it's a war that rages outside of us. It affects literally every part of human existence. I believe the scriptures teach that, and I believe it wholeheartedly. It affects everything. And if you look around, it explains a lot of what we see every day, of what we feel every day, of what goes on inside of us, of what we watch, of what we observe, of what we experience, of what we sense. It explains a lot. There is a war raging. And this, this should sober us as human beings. This, this should, should sober us. It should alert us. And honestly, it should confront us and make us very uncomfortable. It should shock us awake. Denial of this makes it worse. We can't just look at this war and say, it's fine. We can't just look at this brokenness and this conflict and say, I'll just pretend it's not there. It's real. And you're listening to a youth pastor here. I work with students. I see this every single week walking through our doors. There's a war, parents, there is a war for the souls of your children. And let me just say, you can't hide from it in American suburbia. If you think it's not gonna find you where you are, it will. There is no place on planet Earth you can escape. My dad thought we would be safe in rural America where he built this little terrarium for us to live in. And sin found us way out there 
with the grass and the tractors. Sin found us and it wrecked my family. We can't just pretend like we're hobbits in the Shire, that the war will never show up on our doorstep. It's not only true that the war will show up on our doorstep, the war is on our doorstep. I see it in the lives of students every single week that I talk to and interact with. It's threatening to take our homes away. And sometimes I wonder if we really get this, honestly. I'm just being honest with you right now. I feel like, we've, I feel like sometimes we, can, we, can, we feel like we can hide from it in American suburbia, that we've got our heads so far up our American suburbia that we can't see straight. And we don't realize what's really going on around us or we don't want to believe it. And the truth is, that's not going to make it better. Sometimes I look at us as families and as parents and I wonder if we get it when we're organizing our kids' schedules. When what we're prioritizing as parents, do we realize there's a war going on and it's a spiritual war? It's a war that dance classes and sports aren't going to win? Do we realize that good retirement plans aren't going to win this war? Do we realize that there is a war at our doorstep? You're like, man, that's really dramatic. This is the language of Genesis 3, and it shouldn't shock us because God said right at the beginning, there will be war. And to pretend like it doesn't exist means we are ignoring the scriptures themselves. We can't look at God and say, you didn't tell us how bad it was going to be. You didn't tell us that this was going to be difficult because it's right here. Paul talks about the war that rages in us, and it rages in every single person that we see. Say, well, that's a bleak picture. It is. It is. It's not, not, the, only, not the only bleak picture. Another, another bleak, dark aspect of this we lost. We lost the war. There is no human solution that can get us out of it. We're trapped. We can't get out of the brokenness that Paul describes, that God forecasts. We're helpless. It's a spiritual problem, and it needs a spiritual solution. What we do actually makes it worse most of the time. Our best, most noble actions are incomplete at best. Great, feed every hungry person. Doesn't win the war. Set every slave free, doesn't win the war. Cure every physical disease, does not win the war. Do we think by our human actions we can win a spiritual conflict? Can't be done. Our hope shouldn't be in a human solution. God does not endorse human solutions. Man, I wish we would remember that. It's the truth. There's no way we can get ourselves out of it. So does that mean we should just give up? Does that mean we should just quit? That all is lost? There was a second part to Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity, conflict, war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right there in the same phrase, where there is hopelessness and darkness, God says, but remember, 
the seed of the woman will win. There will be a victory and a resolution to this. And actually, Paul, in Romans 7, did not stop at verse 24, because in 725, he says, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. There is hope, and it's found in Jesus. To expound on this hope just a little bit more, there are some what I call hope readings I want to stitch together for you. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern for the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We were in slavery under the law, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth. And as as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. 
book of Revelation. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, because I wept. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. And the elder said, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation also says the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Reality, in the midst of this mess, there is hope. There's hope. And it's not, it's not not just in our actions. We talk about that a lot, that we can't work our way into God's love. We can't work our way into salvation. We can't earn God's love. Neither can we solve the problems of the world by our corporate good deeds. We cannot miss the most important thing. Convoy of Hope gets this because they do what they do in the name of Jesus. International Justice Mission gets this because they do what they do in the name of Jesus. And that tag, let me just tell you, it means something. Because that represents the spiritual reality behind the deed. If we just run out and think that we're going to fix everything by doing a bunch of stuff, we're wrong. The hope is in Jesus He's the one who stitches human souls back together. He's the one who gives hope for the future. So as we are out there, and is, are, you, is it, are you saying we shouldn't do that stuff? No, I'm not saying that at all. But we cannot forget where the hope lies. We cannot forget what the future holds. The future holds a promise that comes only through Jesus. So everything we do needs to, needs to be rooted in a hope that is found and the one who could open that scroll because there was no one else. I sat in a chair alone last week reading that Revelation passage and I just started crying because I feel that. There's no one that can fix this. Thank God that Jesus came down into this slimy dark pit right into the middle of this war and he jumped literally right into the fray. It says that lamb was slain 
God said your heel will be struck. Jesus was wounded. But there's hope. Because in that wounding, he purchased our salvation. There's hope in the Son of Man. There's hope in the man born of a woman that is one and will end this conflict on our behalf. Though wounded on the cross, Jesus won. We win because Jesus wins. We win because of what he did for us. Because of what Jesus did, his people win. Because of what Jesus did, his church wins. Because of Jesus. The struggle against sin and death, and those are the things we fight. It's a spiritual battle. Put your hope in the one who wins. Every day, not the one who sins, not in sinful humanity and a sinful world, not in the hands of people who are finite and broken. Put your hope in the one who wins. Every action we take, every breath we breathe, the way we see the world, the way we view the conflict, all with hope in Jesus, looking at every person we see through the lens of the one who wins. Put your hope in Jesus. God's the giver of hope. Genesis 3, God's the giver of Jesus. Our hope is best placed in Jesus, and the truth is, he is our only hope. Put your hope in Jesus and what he has done and what he will do and the power he gives you through the Holy Spirit. Hope in his payment for sin. Hope in his power to live. Hope in his promise for the future. Until then, until that day that he sets it all right and you can't read the scriptures cover to cover and not walk out of it thinking that this ends with us fixing it. God will intervene in human history. He will put an end to this. He will decide how this all wraps up. And until that day comes, for though we live in the world, we do not wage world as the world wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. We have to see this conflict differently. We have to go about this war differently. We have to see the world and what's happening in it differently than just through human eyes. We have to see it with spiritual eyes that only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. This only comes with us getting in touch with the Holy Spirit and helping, getting help to see things and see people the way we see them. Because this problem's not gonna get voted away either. It's not gonna get legislated away. Only God knows how to fight a spiritual battle. So we've gotta take our cues from Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What are your hope readings? As you sit here, if you're not following Jesus, what are your hope readings? Where are you placing your hope? Christian, what are your hope readings? Where truly is your hope? This matters. This matters. We are the bearers of the message that brings peace. Not only is it our joy and privilege, it is our responsibility to make sure that our hope is in Jesus and none other. Parents, it is our responsibility to make sure our children know where hope is found. Adults, it is our responsibility to make sure the next generation understands where true hope is found. We get one shot at this, and we're not getting any younger. Student, young person, the world's gonna tell you to put your hope in a whole bunch of stuff, stuff that doesn't last, stuff that's maybe good, but stuff that will not survive the fire of the end of this world. There's only one that can take our hand and carry us with victory through this life and into glorious eternal hope on the other side, and it's Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so difficult to keep our eyes on that out there. He's left us these words to give us hope. To sober us, absolutely. To alert us, absolutely. But also to give us hope so we don't walk around with our chins down. We walk around alert. We walk around with a serious understanding, but we walk around with faith in the one who could open the scroll. It's not on us. We keep our eyes on him. I'll tell you what the world needs and doesn't need. And I've said this before, the world does not need any more sleepy Christians walking around just biding their time. If we're in a war, we have our heads on a swivel. If we're in a war, we keep our eyes open on our college campuses, eyes open, heads up, focused on spiritual truth. And we're in a war. So are we living like we're in peacetime? Are we living like we're in a battle? The world needs more followers of Jesus that know exactly where they are and know how to fight it with the stuff we read about in Corinthians and Ephesians. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and You know, I'm not going to apologize for the intensity today because this has been sitting on me like a ton of bricks as I've read these scriptures. And let me just tell you, man, I am feeling the weight of this, especially doing what what I do. We cannot afford to fall asleep at the wheel. Every day, every week counts We have one life to spend. What will our hope readings be? I believe this is so important for us as individuals. I believe it's so important for us corporately, as churches, as families. This is so important. 
Church, if we don't know how to put our hope in the right place, how will the world ever see where hope should be? So we should keep feeding the world in the name of Jesus. We should keep setting the captives free in the name of Jesus. We should keep doing good deeds in the name of Jesus because without him, none of it matters. He's the one who wins. So I'll ask you again, would you bow your heads? If you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you do not know God, or maybe you're just exploring this idea of who he is, I would encourage you to have a simple conversation with him this morning. A conversation that might go something like this. God, I realize I'm sitting here and this world is a mess. And not just on my TV screen. It's here in my backyard and I realize that. And God, I do have stuff going on inside of me too. God, today I am willing to acknowledge that I'm broken. God, today I'm willing to acknowledge that I am finite. And Jesus, today I am willing to open my life to your leadership. I am willing to place my trust in you from this point forward. I'm willing to trust in your hope, in your forgiveness, in your love, and in your power. I'm willing to trust that you can give me real life on this earth. And Jesus, I'm willing to trust that you can take me into real life when this life is over. Please meet me in that place of willingness today. I'm not perfect and I don't understand all of this, but I'm willing to trust you today. Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you give me peace? I promise you that if you have that honest conversation with him, he will hear it, he will respond, and I promise you it will change your spiritual reality. I promise. Maybe you're here today and your prayer should go something like this. God, forgive me. Because I haven't been viewing this world in the way that you've been trying to get me to view this world. I have been lulled into something less than an alert mindset, to say the least. I've kind of fallen asleep at the wheel a little bit. I've kind of been living in the Shire. I've kind of been putting my hope in some stuff, if I'm honest. It's not you. I've been leaning on those things. Would you forgive me? Open my eyes. Help me to have a reset this morning. Help me to leave here sober, alert, but also full of hope. Willing to acknowledge the deep, helpless darkness, but God full of hope that is found in you. Let me sleep no longer, Jesus. Holy Spirit, give me your lens to see the world. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe your problem has been too much awareness of the junk. 
And maybe your prayer this morning is, Holy Spirit, help me not to be fatalistic. Help me not to be hopeless. As I look around and see all of the things that I consider to be negative, help me to see your hope, your peace, your resolution, the power you have to break chains, to forgive sin, to turn even the most lost person around, to enter into deep darkness and bring healing. Let me not forget your power. Let me not forget who you are. You are the one slain. You are the one who is worthy to open the scroll. You're the one who will end all of this. Help me to look at my broken world with a, with a lens of hope found only in you. Help me by the power of your spirit. Maybe your prayer is, God, I am in a battle and I know I'm in one. And maybe you can name that battle. You can name it to him today. You could name 10 battles that you feel like you're stuck in. And your prayer is, Holy Spirit, give me strength and wisdom and endurance and perseverance. Give me understanding to walk in a way described like Corinthians and Ephesians describes it. To fight hard and fight right. Help me. God, I pray this morning for all of us. First and foremost, God, I pray for the ones here who may not yet have a relationship with you. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would reach deep within their hearts and draw them to you, hear their conversation, hear their prayer as they reach out to you and assure them that you have heard them. I pray that there would be people in this room that truly begin a relationship and a conversation with you starting today. God, I pray for those of us who are asking you to forgive us for our complacency, for being lulled to sleep and maybe not seeing things the way we should see them. Forgive us for that and help us, God, by your grace that we read so much about a few minutes ago, by your grace to rise up in the power of your spirit and to live differently in this conflict zone that is the world. Help us overcome the weakness in us by your grace so that we can live for you and serve you and parent and be good friends and be good children, be good representatives in our workplaces and our schools so that the world can see how we live and somehow be able to get a glimpse of you that draws them to the truth of who you are, the truth of what this world is and the truth that is to come. God, I pray for all of us individually and as a church as we engage the darkness, as we fearlessly go to the heart of the darkness, equip us and give us strength. Help us not to get overconfident in our abilities, but to stay humble and lean into your power. And I pray through what is done specifically in this community, through people in this room and in Oakmont, everyone associated with our spiritual community, that through Riverside Community Church, that the darkness would get pushed back, that people would find you, that people would see you, that people would be rescued from their hopelessness, from the darkness that closet them through our actions done in your name. We are so thankful for you, the one who can open the scroll. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. Thank you for fighting on our behalf, for entering our darkness, for being wounded so that we could be healed. And thank you for promising us 
that there is a future in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.